Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 28 of A View to a Cockerranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Ninja Sentai Cockerranger. Every week we watch an episode of the show, we share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how you doing today, man? Good. Good, dude. I'm on spring break. The show is over. My life is my own again, so I am just super chillin'. That Things is are excellent. Very exciting. And what better thing to do with your life now that it is your own again than talk about yet another episode in, in a long line, Dave, a long line of Super Sentai episodes. But today's episode is episode 28 of Ninja Sentai Cocker Ranger. It is called A Super Big Figure Coming to Japan. Okay. Um, well, it's got to be about Jiraiya, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, he's the only one left. It's got to be about Jiraiya, which is great. I love Jiraiya. Dave, I, I I appreciate you you trying to keep to the fiction of our standard um, episode format, but t- this week's episode is a little different for reasons I'll tell you in a moment. Um, and Dave, you know that this is already a Jiraiya episode because we have already watched this episode, and in fact, have already recorded part two of this show. Well, you know, Matt, in an age of uh, shifting loyalties, where so many people just sell themselves to the highest bidder, I think it's important. To have some loyalty to your family. Yes. So. Yes, indeed. Um, so today, here, okay, so here are here are the ways in which this week is different. First of all, we have already recorded episode 28. Um, it's wild. You're going to love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like a real excellent episode. Um, also, we are not going to do our standard award-winning, twice, two years running, award-winning opening segment, the five stars. Instead, we are going to dedicate this opening segment to, uh, the recent Power Rangers movie that was just released. Yes. Uh, due to some scheduling things, what we did is we recorded part two of this show yesterday. We went to go see the movie, and now, today, on Monday evening... We are recording part one. We're going to talk about the movie, and then uh, it's pretty much going to go straight from here to you. Um, so, Dave, let's get into it. Shining in the yes. heavens, there was a movie this week. What'd you think, buddy? There were, and there were five people in that movie. And you know what? From, all of them are stars. For all of them are stars, man. Uh, so, we should say real quickly before we get into this, we're just gonna we're just gonna chat about the movie. Our assumption is going to be that if you are a person who is listening to this podcast, that you probably saw Mighty Morphin Power Rangers opening weekend. And so we're just going to go for it. If you don't want to hear anything about it, then go ahead and skip forward. But, like, I'm going to be, before you do that, I'm going to be honest. Like, you know what's happening. Like, you already know the story. Nothing is, we're not going to spoil anything that like there's no surprises here, yeah listen this is, is what not, i'm saying this is not m night Shyamalan saban's power rangers colon the movie brought to you by krispy Kreme. like this is it's power rangers it, it follows yeah, a, it follows a formula and you probably already know what that formula is yeah so anyways man i thought it was i thought it was a ton of fun and i thought it was a a fine movie let me back that up it was an amazing power rangers movie Mm-hmm. Like as a as a Power Rangers thing, that movie killed. Like yes. it was it was a two hour long first episode of Power Rangers. It was right. great, and, and I, I feel like I should give a caveat here because we our our podcast and to sort of a weird extent, like parts of my life are now like Power Rangers adjacent. But we are not a Power Rangers show, right? Like, we're a Super Sentai show. We're watching a different yeah. television series. And so... And those things, they are different. They are different. And so, I, I guess what I'm trying to lay out in the beginning is that I am not a big stickler for the specifics of Power Rangers. 
Correct. So there are things, and totally valid arguments, that, like, if they had pulled those kind of changes in, like, an early Marvel movie before that universe was sort of as set as its own thing, I would, in a review, complain about them because they were different from the source materials. With Power Rangers, I'm not as invested in those things. And so I'm just trying to take this as a sort of conceptual part of the Power Rangers like idea as opposed to a part of the actual Power Rangers canon, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, no, absolutely. There is totally an MCU sort of vibe to this in that there are many things that are very recognizable and will make total sense to you, but it is a riff on those things rather than a direct adaptation. Right. It is also um, tangentially related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe because they specifically name drop Iron Man and Spider-Man in the course of this movie and the Transformers, weirdly. Yeah, they were just... Listen, I would not be surprised if they sold advertising space to those movies. Whoever, like... They couldn't have. They sold all of their advertising space to Krispy Kreme Donuts. You know, Matt, you would think that, but they definitely mentioned those licensed properties, so who knows? Okay, so here were a handful of things that I really, really dug about the movie, like stuff that I thought was great. I I loved the idea that Rita Repulsa was originally one of the Power Rangers. Yes, I and thought Zordon was also one of the original Power Rangers. Yeah, I thought that was such a cool a twist on that thing. Like, because at the very beginning, what you, the very first scene is you see, like, Zordon in his armor, and he's on Earth, and, like, Rita Repulse is there, and uh, dude calls down a a literal meteor strike to, like, kill Rita, which is rad, and you see her in Power Ranger armor. Yeah. And I thought the idea mm-hmm. that she was like a rogue ranger was really, really neat. It was cool. And it was a nice sort of shortcut for the story, right? Because it yeah. gives, like, Zordon and Rita being former rangers gives them a reason to be involved in the ranger stuff and also to have, like, a personal enmity, uh, like, that predates this movie. But also, what I thought that was cool was when you got to look at Zordon. And Rita. And you also get a look at the, like, ancient dinosaur era... um, Yellow Ranger. Yellow Ranger. They're all clearly, like, different races. Like, Zordon is a blue-skinned dude with, like, stripes on his face. Uh, The Yellow Ranger has, like, I don't know, some sort of, like, a a vague alien look about her. But different from Zordon. Yeah, she's like a Star Trek alien. And you then, know what I mean? Yeah. And then Rita looks like, well, I mean, you've seen Rita probably in the posters and stuff. Like, mostly like Elizabeth Banks, but like with some ridges on her face. Yeah. So, like, they're um, all the Power Rangers, but they're not all from Earth. They are, like, a sort of universal galactic team, seemingly like the Legion of Superheroes, all from different planets. Yeah. I was What I was not very clear on is like are they the only power rangers team it does that does not seem to be the case well like i don't the know the way zordon is talking about like the morphing grid and stuff there's it seems it's like oh no like maybe every planet that hosts a zeo crystal has its own team of rangers and like the rangers are dispatched from like some central like guardians of uh right or like lantern core style you know like oh this is like the earth team of rangers and they're aliens like sent here to guard this zeo crystal right until such time is like whatever by the way let me back this up the zeo crystal which and i'm giving you background that you as the listener probably already know but just in case our mother is still listening is completely lost um, by the way, Mom, all we're going to be doing is talking about this movie. You really don't need to listen to this oh, one. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Can, we'll we'll talk to you next week. Um, but the Zeo Crystal, which is something from like the third season of the TV show, which is Power Rangers Zeo, in this movie is set up as like this original MacGuffin where the, like, the Zeo Crystal as a larger entity is the source of all life in the universe Every planet that has life on it has a shard of the Zeo crystal, like, somewhere embedded in it. And this, I thought, was one of the 
cleverest bits of the movie. The, like, it's a small thing, but it explains why on earth everything happens in Angel Grove. Is that the Zeo Crystal, like the shard of the Zeo Crystal on earth, is underneath the town of Angel Grove. Specifically underneath the Krispy Kreme in the town of Angel Grove. TM, TM, TM. I cannot, yeah. We cannot emphasize for you enough how frequently they reference Krispy Kreme in this movie. Yeah, like, they talk about it a bit in the first half. The last third of this movie basically happens inside a Krispy Kreme. It's, yeah. It's a bit, uh, much? Or is it not quite enough? Anyway, so... There is there is a really beautiful scene where Elizabeth Banks, as Rita Repulsa, is in the Krispy Kreme, like, waiting for Goldar to arrive, and she's just eating a donut, and, like, looking at it, as though to say, like, hmm, hmm, maybe this is... Maybe there's some good things about this planet after all. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna destroy it, but first I'll enjoy this delicious confectionery treat. Yeah. So, I really liked all of this, like, world building stuff that got set up in the beginning. I thought that was a very clever way to deal with it. But I did just realize that we're 13 minutes into this episode, Dave, or thereabouts, and we need to pick up the pace, because this was a two-hour movie, and I do not have time to talk about this whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sorry. We're not going to talk about the whole thing. Like, this is not going to be, like, a point-for-point -point recap. Yeah. So, things I really dug. Again, I love that Rita was the Green Ranger. I... I dug the whole, like, Breakfast Club vibe of this movie. And the way that they got every, all the characters together, it was, it was like a little bit forced, I just think in deference to the fact that it's a movie. Sure. But, but inside that context, I feel like they actually did a pretty good job of making the relationship between these characters grow like, more or less organically. Yeah, because, okay, here here is the big trick of the movie. Is that the way that the rangers are able to access the Morphin Grid to, like, fully unlock their Power Rangers power is that the Morphin Grid is powered by, like, you've got the coins, right? Which, listen, I know they're not actual coins. They're, like, discs with crystals in the middle. But, like... Yeah, they're but, roughly yeah, coin-shaped, and they're called coins in the TV show. And, like, honestly, you could not pay me cash money to care about, like, the difference between the two. Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, you could, depending on the amount of money. I mean, yeah, every but... man's got his price, as the as the uh, the great Ted DiBiase has said. But, um, <laughs> like, my price for that would be pretty high. So, they've got the coins, but the other thing that lets them morph as a team is that they have to, well, they have to do that. They have to be a team. Like, the power to morph is inherently tied to the power of those five people's friendship, right? Which is amazing, because, like, the whole point of Power Rangers is, like, like diverse, multi-ethnic, color-corded teenage superheroes using the powers of giant robots and weaponized friendship to defeat evil monsters. And, like, that is the elevator pitch for this movie. Like, very explicit. Yeah, man, they crushed it. They um, did a great, great job. And so, like, the first half to two-thirds of the movie is a little long. And, like, there's a lot of it dedicated to just, like, those people before they transformed hanging out. But I think that, it, yeah. like, honestly, I feel like they kind of had to do it that way. Because if they hadn't, when they eventually got to the point where these characters, like, Honest, like, you believed that these characters legitimately cared about each other. Like, it would have felt forced, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I mean, like, in, in the idea of deference to the fact that this is just a two-hour movie, that, you know, I, I do feel like they did a pretty good job. They could have tightened it up a little bit, but... They could have tightened it up just a skosh. That would have probably been okay. But, honestly, but I did like yeah. all the... I liked all the individual characters. Loved them. I, yeah, I thought everybody did like a really cool job. Um, you know, I, I liked that they did not feel the need to stick too tightly to like the ethnic, like the ethnicities of the original characters. Yeah, like that was changed up a bit, um, which honestly was probably for the best because in the original series, like 
Trini being the like Chinese American Yellow Ranger and Zach being the African American Black Ranger was a little on the nose. And when I say oh, a little yeah. on the nose, I mean like just doesn't fly in 2017. Yeah, it wasn't great. But yeah, so I thought all those kids did a cool, cool job. And I also did like that they cast like basically unknowns. I I dig that in a movie. When Especially, a movie is just yeah. like Especially in a movie like this, where the characters are very explicitly like teens just beginning their adventures. If you if any of these actors were actors that you really knew from other things, then them being sort of like fresh faced, just new to stuff wouldn't like work wouldn't as sell. well. Yeah. Uh let's see. Brian Cranston is fantastic as Zordon. Yeah. Bill well, Hader you know, is one of America's yeah. treasures. Yeah. Uh, Bill Hader is great as Alpha. Elizabeth Banks straight up slaughtered it as Rita Repulsa. I love it. Like, it it was a very different take on the character. Like, this Rita Repulsa is not the same Rita Repulsa from the TV show. But Elizabeth Banks' character was hilarious and great. Yeah, there is a weird stretch in this movie where Elizabeth Banks is sort of like a half-recovered mummy who is murdering hobos and stealing their gold teeth. And that's a little, like, upsetting. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, in this... I mean, it was a PG-13 movie, but it's a kid's property, and that's, like, some straight-up horror movie stuff. But, like, she did yeah. a great job with it. She did. She did a really cool job. Speaking of it being PG-13, I thought there were some of those very funny moments where Billy almost swears and then, like, catches himself. Yes. Um, so, I oh, thought that Billy, was a ton by the of way, fun. Billy was great. I think... Billy is probably, like, the best character in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. The kid who played Billy was was totally my favorite. I sort um, of low-key, like, really loved Zack. I didn't think that I did. And then when they hit the campfire scene, I was like, oh, I love this kid. He's great. Yeah. Let's see. Is there anything I wasn't super into? I, I did mean... not... At, at first, I did not dig what they had done with Goldar. Uh... Just the fact that he is literally like a giant monster made out of gold, which, first of all, like, the existence of Goldar is full on enough to crash the world economy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Especially like, like without... when, he, when he collapses at the end of the movie and all that gold just is sort of seeping all over Angel Grove. My only thought there was yeah. like, oh, well, that's how they rebuild Angel Grove. They're suddenly like crazy gold rich. <laughs> Uh, I did like that, but then when it became clear that he was like a crazy sort of shape-shifting monster that was made out of molten gold specifically, and he was doing crazy like fire molten metal stuff, I thought that was a little bit neater. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, the I... Megazord, I think, looked a lot better in the movie than it did in literally any of the other like photos I had seen of it prior to that. It did, although I still did not love the look of the Megazord. No, although what I did love is that, okay, so all the Zords are together, right? And, like, they're holding the line because Goldar, this giant gold monster, is trying to destroy the Shard of the Zeo Crystal underneath the Krispy Kreme. And so these five dinosaur robots are trying, not, uh, okay, three dinosaur robots, a saber-toothed tiger robot, and a mastodon robot, because those are not dinosaurs. Yep. Um, are trying to protect the crystal from this giant gold monster. Goldar pushes them all into the pit, which is sort of like a callback to previously where they were training in a different pit. And all five Zords, like, fall down and hit the Zeo crystal, which is, of course, the source of all life on the planet, right? Right. And then, when that happens, that, like, triggers the change into the Megazord, which, like... It's sort of, I, I've heard some arguments that, like, the Megazord transformation ought to have been more, like, purposeful on the part of the Rangers and then getting sort of shoved into it made it bad, which I do get that argument. But on the other hand, what I think is cool about it is that when they came back out, it seemed clear to me at least, and maybe I was reading it wrong, but my read on it was that they came back out like, powered by the Zeo crystal, which caused the transformation into the Megazord, because Rita looked at the Megazord like, what on earth is that giant thing? I have no idea how you did that crazy magic to turn it into one big robot. Yeah, that was... I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, speaking of, when they do finally get into Zords, there is a great moment, like, from... 
the opening theme of the original show where like you mm-hmm. see all the swords and they're like running in a line and it's the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers theme song. And like it's the straight it's up like, Go Go Power Rangers song. Yeah. Or, yeah. Like they are not, this is not like a take on it. It's just a dude singing Go Go Power Rangers. So that was like, that was a pretty good moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we could keep talking about this thing for a while. Generally speaking, I liked it a lot. There were definitely some, like, plot elements that were introduced and then completely ignored in a way that I just had to sort of get past. Like, listen. Yeah, again. Like, Jason was on house arrest throughout, like, in the beginning of this movie. And Billy figured out a way to, like, hack his, like, ankle bracelet for that. But Jason has parents and Jason's parents would probably notice if Jason just wasn't around in the evenings during his house arrest. And that is yeah. literally never addressed. Yeah, there's just, I mean, okay, listen. Again, Matt, I think that this is a spot where watching Super Sentai really does us well. Because just, you know, they threw a thing in because they wanted to say one thing about it. And then it's literally never addressed again. And you just have to live with that. Yeah. And that's just, you know... This spot where they show up in the ship and they've all gotten the power coins and they all have like superpowers and super strength and they're in an alien ship and they're talking to an android and then Zordon says, oh yeah, also there's a villain who's going to try and destroy all life on Earth and their response is, psh, psh, no, that's that's crazy. crazy. It's just like, you know, okay, guys, everything else that's happened you can handle, but the fact that there's also a villain is insane. Like, come on. But overall, it was it was a ton of fun. Absolutely. And in fact, it was so much fun that I did not, until the next day, realize that Bulk and Skull were not in this movie. Oh my gosh, you're right. I know. Like, now that I've said it out loud, it seems insane, right, that Bulk and Skull would not be in this movie. But, like, during the course of the movie, I did not think about it even one time. Even when there are other bully characters on the screen. And, th- and again, that, that I think is a testament to the fact that I am not, like, a real Power Rangers guy. I think that yeah. everyone who was, like, you know, all the diehard Power Rangers people, I think, were looking for Bulk and or Skull throughout the entire movie. Um, and I am willing to accept that, like, that is a valid criticism. And, like, honestly, Bulk and Skull are awesome. And they should be in most, if not all, iterations of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. But yeah, I I didn't miss them in this iteration. And, like, Ernie's juice bar wasn't there. And I kind of didn't think twice about it. Yeah, wow, you're totally right. I did No, I absolutely, I did not think about any of those things. But, you know, listen, man, who knows? Maybe they show up later. Whatever it is. Oh, speaking of things that are showing up later, the after credits bit where they're calling out Tommy Oliver. Oh, Dude. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. That was. You know we're getting green with evil next. Right. Okay, oh, so... and we did. There There was a quick cameo with uh, Tom, the original Tommy and Kimberly, Jason David Frank, and... Amy Joe Johnson. Amy Joe Johnson, thank you. I was going to say something like a Mary Bath, but... No. Oh, by the way, okay. We go, never mind. We need to stop talking about this. Because the point that I was about to bring up is that at one point we see Kimberly, like, dive into some water. And when I watched that, I thought, Kimberly wasn't a diver. Kimberly was a gymnast. Cat was a diver. And then I got, like, I got way too in my head about it and decided that I needed to, to, to stay, take, like, a giant step back and ignore all of that stuff. Uh, yes. I think that taking... Actually, that's just good advice for seeing that movie. Just just take a giant step back and enjoy the movie for what it is. Yeah, and I had a ton of fun. We could continue to talk about this in great, great detail. Um, and maybe, Dave, the not. next time you and I hang out, we will do it off air. But it has been uh, 25 or so minutes of this episode, and we should probably get on to what the people have come here for, which is episode 28 of Ninja Sentai Cocker Ranger. Dave, did you have any other Power Rangers thoughts before we move on? No, 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 but you guys are in for a treat with this episode of Cocker Ranger. It's real, real good. Yes. So uh, thank you for listening thus far, and we will see you after the break yesterday. But your tomorrow, in the future, our past, but our past future, let's just get, you got it. Just, you understand. Have fun, guys. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)
Okay, welcome back. So we have just finished watching episode 28 of Ninja Sentai Kakaranger. A super big figure is coming to Japan. And I did not realize going into it that this was going to be the first half of a two-parter. Yeah, dude. I am super tempted to just go watch the other half of this right now. I'm not going to, probably. Uh, but I definitely want to know what is what is up. Because there is some craziness happening. There is a lot of crazy... Okay, so let's just get into this. Yeah. So, so as as we've been going for the last couple of weeks, of course, we have been following the rangers on their sort of individual side missions to collect their hidden scrolls, which they will then use to summon their, like, final individual robots, which will then combine into... Into... Uh, Daishoken Kakure, right? Yes. Thank. Yeah, that's his name. Thank you. Or Kakure Daishoken, probably. Uh, anyway. It's... Yeah, one of those. So, this is the final installment of this, like, chapter of Kaku Ranger, and uh -huh. it's Jiraiya who needs to go get his final hidden scroll. So, we meet Jiraiya as he is wandering through the, the, I feel like the closest that they could easily approximate to wandering through a desert. Yeah, it just seems to be, it's not a desert, I thought it was a desert at first, actually. It just seems to be like a dried riverbed. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so there are a few bits in this episode, and I feel like this is part of it, although we'll get a lot more of it later on, that really lean on the fact that Jiraiya is from America. And I feel like this is that sort of, like, like Western wandering through the desert on his way to a quest sort of scene, but they yes. couldn't conveniently get to a desert, so like, well, this is kind of, like, dry-ish. Let's just go here and then do like a really close zoom on Jiraiya's face and show how astonishingly sweaty he is. And then they'll, is... They'll, they'll sort of get the idea. Yeah, he is, uh, he is a sweaty boy, all right? Um, so we, we have him walking through there, and then we cut to Nue, who, if you recall from last week, was the monster-like villain yokai that Seikai and Saizo by like trapping him underground but he yeah. didn't die and now he's just stuck in this cavern and we learn uh something very important about Nue, which is that his costume has glowing eyes which i love yeah we did not get to see that before and we see it now and it's totally rad this so is, think, is this the second glowing eyed monster we've gotten this season uh i'm gonna be honest dude i don't know i was about to say something guy. The spider oh, that's guy right. has glowing eyes. Yeah, that was like a really key element of his costume. So we get like a pretty big flashback of exactly how it is that Nui gets defeated. And he is hella salty. Like he is real upset about it. Weirdly, like from Nui's perspective, instead of going after Seikai and Saizo, he's like, well, I'm going to get Jiraiya and that will be my revenge. It's like, how did you even, how do you even know what's up with Jiraiya? Did you You've been stuck down here this whole time? Right. What's anyways? So so Nui is going like what for must have happened is before he came down, Nui got briefed on like which hidden scrolls were still in play. Like the whole situation. To, yeah, and like there's one left. He's like, "Well, I already failed with this one, so now I'm going to like I will, redouble my efforts over Yeah, here. get on on Jiraiya. So we go back to Jiraiya and what we see real quickly is there's monsters attacking some kids who were like fishing and these are these are completely nondescript monsters i think we've actually seen these monsters in the yokai bar at like the very beginning of this show yeah these are like the scrub yokai that show up here and there when they don't need to have like a special one yeah i think it's like the one he's got like a giant cyclopean eye and like a mohawk it's real weird so jiraiya like he's walking over the bridge and he sees the kids and he like puts on his ninja costume or or he rather he takes off his regular clothes and then he's in his ninja costume. I really love that move because what that indicates to me is that they're all always wearing their ninja clothes like 100% of the time. Right. Well, and it's what I only love about it, What I love about it specifically with Jiraiya is that Jiraiya's like regular walking around clothes is it like a tank top? And so he rips off his tank top and underneath is wearing like a full suit with headgear. He, Matt, 
I think what she meant to say is he appears to be wearing a tank top. Okay, okay. Um, so he like he jumps down and he's like fighting the kids. And then Sasuke shows up and he's just like, Jiraiya, long time no see. Let's kick these yokai. And so they do. Which is nice. It's nice to see Sasuke because like Sasuke's quest is done. And so like there's no reason why he wouldn't try to like meet back up with his friends. Yeah. So they, like, they start fighting. The yokai pull, like, a grab teleport. Like, they teleport the kids over to them, and then they all teleport away. And Sasuke and Jiraiya are like, we gotta get them. And so Jiraiya, like, listens to the ground, and this tells him somehow where the yokai are. Hey, man, ninja tracking. They teleported! That's not... Yeah, but they they didn't teleport far. And so, like, they're running away and he can hear their footsteps. So, anyways... And also, dude, ninja magic. Yeah, so they chase the yokai to a... What appears to be a really cool, like, Wild West LARP camp. It's just like a Wild West village. This is what I was talking about earlier. Where it's like, oh yeah, Jiraiya is the American one. So here is, like, this (laughs) Old West town for all the showdowns to take place in. Yeah, it's, it's not a real Old West town, but it's the closest that we could find. Right, because they're in they're Japan, so it's like a fake. It's a really cool set, man. I would play. Oh, a, I would play a LARP there. Like it would be super rad. So uh, the yokai are in the saloon, and they like Jiraiya and Sasuke bust in, and they're like, "You monsters!" Something, something, something. Sasuke henges and goes on to fight the monsters. Jiraiya, as he is about to henge just gets, like, cold cocked from off-screen. And as he turns to see what he assumes is, like, a yokai attacking, he instead sees, um, like, a middle-aged like Japanese a dude. dude wearing, like, a full, like, karate gi. Like, a black karate gi. Yeah. So, he is attacked, and he's... And Jiraiya says, Gali-sensei? And then he just gets attacked. So whoever, this dude, Gali-sensei, like, punches him a few times. And then as the yokai, like, run in front of Gali-sensei, as they're, like, running away from Sasuke, Gali-sensei disappears. Right. Now, there is one thing that I want to say about them arriving in this Old West time that I think we skipped over. When they arrive, first of all, they're sort of running around trying to find the yokai. Yeah. And the first building that run that uh, Sasuke runs into is the sheriff's office. And because it's like a sheriff's office in an old West American town, there's a wall covered in like rifles and revolvers. And he looks at the guns on the wall and he says, ha, huh, a rifle. And then he leaves. That's, <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. Which I'm only mentioning because it is like, listen, uh, like it, it's... It's Chekhov's gun. Like, he may as well have walked into there and said, like, oh, it's Chekhov's gun, and then left. <laughs> so, so, like, they have defeated the monsters. Like, great job. And then Sasuke sort of, like, ushers the kids away from where... He just sort of, like, lets them go. Like, he doesn't take them any place. He's just like, all right, kids, you, you seem to be fine now. Yeah, like, then, he gets them sort of to, like, a bridge. Maybe the bridge where they had, like, originally found them and said, like, you could probably see your way home from here. And then he turns to talk to Jiraiya and is like, dude, what was up with that guy? Yeah, like, what is going on? And he says that was, like, he's obviously, like, he's very confused. Because he says, like, that's Gali-sensei. Like, that is the dude that, when my dad died, like, took me in and, like, taught me karate and all of this stuff. And we are about to find out something crazy. Yeah. So, first of all, okay, so we're about to go into a flashback. And it's the sort of flashback that, until we saw it right now, I hadn't really thought about the fact that we don't know hardly anything about the backstories of any of the Kaku Rangers. We know a little bit about Tsurihime, and we know sort of their family histories, but their individual histories is not something that we've gotten almost at all. As opposed to, like, Jetman, which was, like, half those episodes were about, like, stuff that had happened in those characters' pasts. Yeah. So, we find out that... Okay, so, like, we go back, we see... 
like a little bit of Jiraiya's past and he's kind of like walking through everything that has happened. And here's the bombshell for me is that we see Jiraiya and there is like a family picture and it's Jiraiya and his dad and Gali sensei and Jiraiya's little sister and his white mom. Oh, yeah. oh, you mean his blonde white American mom? Yeah. Yeah. Like zero explanation. Because okay, listen, if you're not if you if you're not watching the show, Jiraiya does not appear to be like a mixed race dude. Yeah, like, and I, like, to my eye, and like listen, I could be wrong about this. Like, so, yeah, I don't wanna Like, if I am, I'm very sorry. But he does not appear to me to be like Japanese American. Like, he is I mean, okay, let me take that back. I think he actually is Japanese American in that he is ethnically Japanese and like like from, from America, America right. or at least like has dual citizenship or something. I looked it up at one point earlier on in the show. Yeah, but like ethnically, he right. I, like I his... think he that dude is all Japanese, and it's just yeah, just white mom, and there's no explanation for it at all, like nothing. It's not like, I just, what? Dude, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I honestly don't know. And it's, I mean, listen, what it is really is it's the show telling you like, oh, do you remember Jiraiya is from America? And yes. so like when they go to America, there are some people who are cast in those scenes who are not Japanese. Which I think is a good like sort of visual shorthand. And also there's some great stock footage in these scenes of like places in America when they're talking about Jiraiya's childhood. And it's all just like graffiti on walls and Marlboro cigarette billboards. And like the most stereotypical, like, well, it's America sort of yeah. stock footage that they can find. <laughs> so... so Jiraiya's dad was a cop and yes. he was killed in the line of duty. And there's like a flashback to like him getting attacked and, Jiraiya just, like, being, like, about 30 feet away when it happened for some reason and, like, running over and seeing his dad die. And then he says, like, at this point, like, Gali sensei sort of took me in. And that's when we get a lot of, like, the kid training montages and stuff like that. And, like, Gali sensei and Jiraiya's dad were, like, good friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... He is, like, he obviously, he's, like, super confused. And then Sasuke is also very confused. He says, well, it's impossible that Gali-sensei is, like, working with the yokai. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And Jiraiya, like, he doesn't really say anything. He just, like, leaves. He just runs away. And Sasuke's about to go chase after him. But Sandayu appears. Like, by appear, he's not there. He's, like, up on a mountain, like, yelling down to Sasuke. Like, no, 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 like, stop. Like, Jiraiya has to go deal with this on his own. Like, this is his, like, this is his thing. He has to go and, like, do his trial, just like you guys did. He's got to do it to get his scroll. And Sasuke's like, all right, you know, like, all right, sure. That's I am, but what, I am, is... by the way, super, super duper looking forward to God Toad. I can't remember the name of it, but, like, God Toad. Like, I want to see what's up with that. It's, I, I'm sure it's going to be good. What I... Okay, so here's what I like about this scene. Is that originally when they split up to go find their hidden scrolls separately. The reason that they split up was not because they were individual trials that needed to be taken like one person at a time. So they could learn something about themselves. They split up because they didn't have time to go all together looking for them. Right? Right. So now Sasuke shows up. He's like, oh, well, I'll help Jiraiya. And Sandayu is like, well, there's... like." If, if Sandayu hadn't shown up to be like, no, you probably shouldn't, then there would have been no reason for Sasuke to not go through and help him throughout the entire episode. Right. So it's good that they put this in, because otherwise there was never any real explanation. Especially yeah. because in the last episode, Seikai and Saizo were just together the whole time on their, like, individual quest. Right, like on their is not an individual quest. quest? They had, like, yeah, a buddy quest? They, you know, yeah, sure. I, uh, oh, I did look up real quickly, Matt. He is not, uh, he is not, like, a mixed race. He is, he, well, he's, uh, he is of Chinese and Japanese descent, is what his Wikipedia page says. So there's okay. just no, you know. Well, here, 
here is a good time to tell you a bit of trivia that I looked up during uh, after having watched the episode. Um, speaking of his parentage, do you know who his dad is? Uh, I, I didn't until I was reading his Wikipedia page. Yeah, it's Gali Sensei. The guy who plays Gali Sensei is actually the actor who plays Jiraiya's dad. Oh, uh, and he no, was like in... I did not notice that. I just, oh, it was no? like, this. his dad is also a martial arts star. But I did yeah, not know that's that him. that's his real life dad. That's awesome. Um, that dude is rad. Like, yeah, he's that great. guy throws he, it down. He's in a bunch of like eighties like ninja movies. That's pretty rad. Uh, okay, he was so... also in a two thousand nine movie called Ninja Assassin, starring the Korean pop star Rain that I saw in the theaters. Wait a minute. I did not see that in the theaters. I think because you saw it in the theaters and told me like explicitly not to see it. Well, I mean, listen, I, I probably told you not to spend money on seeing it. It was a fun movie. Yeah, that sounds that sounds good. Not spending money on seeing it. Speaking of not spending money to see movies, I did finally watch Suicide Squad. It was, oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, it was not good. It was, yeah, no, it was a bad movie. Well, so, I mean, that's... Wait, are, are you talking about the Academy Award winning, winning film, Suicide Squad? I am. Yeah, I sure am. That movie did, in fact, win an Oscar. It was not for anything. Not for any of, like, the acting or story or... Yeah, not for the acting or the story or... I think it was for, like, makeup or something. I think it was, yeah. Which, there actually was some pretty rad makeup in that movie. But, no, it was very... It was very bad. Uh, worth watching, worth watching for free. I mean, I had a fun time watching it, but a bad, bad, bad movie. So Jiraiya is—he's off on his own, and he he pauses and he like he pulls out this necklace, and the necklace has a rock on it, and he like goes to put the necklace on, and then we get another flashback, and it's Jiraiya and Gali at at the docks, headed, and I, he I guess he's like about to go to Japan, but it's a very weird scene. Because it's framed very, yeah, very because, badly, actually, is what it Jiraiya is. Because Jiraiya and Gali are like, it's like a foggy day, and they're way in the background. And what's happening in the foreground is this Hollywood dude is like rolling up and with like a jacket over his shoulders and like sunglasses. And he's talking to two people who are sitting at the table. And 100% looks like they are supposed to be the focus of the scene. Except oh, absolutely. that it's... Jiraiya and Gali, like, way in the back. It actually took me a second to figure out what was going on and who was talking, because the guy in the jacket wasn't saying anything, but I was hearing Jiraiya's voice. And then, after, like, four or five seconds, I saw, oh, oh, there they are, like, way in the background. Yeah, okay, so there's there's another thing I want to say about, like, the people in the foreground is uh, not the guy with the who has the trench coat, like, thrown over his shoulders like a cloak, but the uh -huh. guy who was at the table, um, I swear to you, he's wearing Rio's coat from the second half of the season from Die Ranger. That, like, wow. deep red sort of maroonish, like, silk jacket. Do you know the one I'm talking I, about? I do. I'll have to go back and check that out. Go back and check it out, because I think that that man is wearing Rio's coat. That's pretty fantastic. I really, Which is really also why I got true. thrown off. Like, that looks like a hero coat. So I should be paying attention to this dude. <laughs> but but we're not supposed to be. We're supposed to be paying attention to the background where Gali Sensei and Jiraiya are talking. Jiraiya, significantly, first of all, he's getting on a boat to go to Japan, which seems yeah, like a terrible idea. I like, am. They have planes. Like, guys, that's going to take forever. But maybe he had to take... Okay, if I'm going to headcanon this, maybe he had to take a boat because he was going sort of like secretly to Japan to, like, get past the prying eyes of the yokai's, like, information network. And if he had gotten on a plane, they had people, like, at the airport watching out for him. Man, maybe? That makes I as mean, much sense as anything. But also what I love is that in this scene, Jiraiya is wearing the sort of, like, pseudo-cowboy outfit that he was wearing in the first episode he appeared in. Yeah, that was a pretty, that was a nice touch. Yeah. So, what he says, like, Gali Sensei, what we find out is this necklace is from Gali Sensei. It's a gift. And he says, listen, 
as long as like you're wearing yours and I'm wearing mine, then like our hearts will always be together or like it's something like that. I don't remember exactly yeah, it's, what he it's, says, but I mean it's a friendship bracelet, basically. But it's yeah, like a special a... like best friends necklace. It's like the heart that's sort of like broken like in half, and when you put the two pieces together, it's a heart that says best friends. Right. Like, that's this, except it's a bad necklace made out of a rock. Okay, so the last thing I want to say about this scene before we get back to the present day of 1994 is uh-huh. that, although actually, I think this is also in 1994 because this is right before he leaves. So there yeah, can't have been more than six months between like this scene and the present day. Right. But the show makes it seem like this was years ago. Anyway, the, the last thing I want to mention is that Gali-sensei is like, oh, um, so go to Japan and be a great Kaku Ranger. Right. So, like, Gali knows what's up. Gali knows that he has been training Jiraiya to be a Kaku Ranger. This is not, like, just his, like, karate dude, like, friend. He is he's in on the scheme as regards yokai. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, like, 100% knows what's up. So, back to Jiraiya. Uh, he's back in Western LARP, and he is calling out for Gali-sensei, and he says... Like, Gali-sensei, it's a great moment, because he steps out of the saloon, and it's in, like, the Western thing. But he is wearing, like, a karate gi, so it's a little, like, it's a little bit off. But they're, like, staring at each other, right, from across the street. And he says, I've been waiting for you. And is about to run over, and he's like, no, keep away. And he crosses his arms above his head, and he's, like, covered in energy. When energy fades away, he's wearing, like, super rad, like, tiger cyborg armor. Yeah, dude, it's great. Now, there are two things I want to say about this type of cyborg armor. Yeah, full-on, like, cyberpunk from 1993. It's, yeah, it's totally, it's just like a a chest piece that is, like, armor, and then he's got a tiger bracers, and then, like, a head, like, a cyber headband thing. It's rad. And he's got a sigh, like, in a holster. Oh, that's right. And the side has like a tiger stripe wrap for the handle. Um, so the two things are that the tiger stripe on his outfit is identical to the tiger stripe that was on Nui's body. And also oh, there's like a, a right. sigil on his chest that's sort of like this weird stylized Y that was also like the same sigil that would glow on Nui's arm when he was doing like his like weird like yokai magic. So like very, there is like we haven't seen Nue since like the beginning part of this episode, but like there's a visual link between these two. Yeah, you know, Matt, I totally, you're totally right. I did not, I did not catch that. I um, might have watched this episode twice. <laughs> um, so Gali Sensei says, like, I have, like, I've been waiting for you, and he's dry as like, what? What are you talking about? Like, we're Super best buds. You're like my dad, Kai. You're like my number two dad. And he says, yeah, well... Actually, my number one dad. My in-fiction number two dad. Right. And he says, Nui has promised me the life I want if I defeat you, Jiraiya. And Jiraiya's... Again, like, Jiraiya spends... I'm not gonna keep saying it. Jiraiya spends this entire fight just looking extraordinarily confused. Like, he's not fighting back. He's just kind of dodging and being bewildered. Right, and I'm super confused too, right? Because at this point, I still think that this is like a standard, like, one-and-done episode. And so, like, we're getting kind of late into the episode, and we do not have any answers. And, like, the mystery keeps ramping up, and I'm like, when are they going to figure this out and, like, let me know what is happening? And the answer is next week, but I didn't know that at the time. Yeah, so Jiraiya is, again, he's, like, crushed and confused, and he's, like... How could you, like, how could this be? Like, how can you be a yokai? And then we get another flashback to when Jiraiya's dad dies. His fictional dad, not his real dad, because he's fighting his real dad. So his fictional dad dies. And all we see of, like, the yokai that killed his dad is that he's got, like, giant Wolverine-style claws, basically. Right. So what's interesting is, like, this is the second time we've seen this flashback, but we see, like, an extra second and a half of it. Yeah. So, you can guess where this is going, but we'll get there. So, the 
We're back to the fight, and we're getting a sad piano version of the opening theme, and I am just really into... I'm wondering how many ways they're gonna manage to play the two songs that they have written for this show. Because so far, I think the count has got to be like five or six. So I, I, I do really love it, and they kind of do it every year, where they just like remix the theme to like be like to evoke a different emotion yeah so jariah looks up at golly and he's just like how like what are you doing like why is what is up and like, golly's like, only like, explanation killed my dad like who like, is your friend like why are you helping the yokai you know this and all golly says is everyone changes like that's it is no like Ah, secretly, whatever. Just, yeah, everybody, everyone changes. And, when, so, and by the way, during this flashback, like this new flashback that we saw, it wasn't just Jiraiya's dad getting killed. There was an additional scene in that flashback of, like, Jiraiya and Gali-sensei at the dad's grave. And Jiraiya saying, oh, a yokai right. killed my father. And Gali saying, I will train you to be a cocky ranger to fight against them. So this right. is not, like, a happenstantial thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then it cuts back. He's like, eh, people change. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> even uh, uh, even a saint can make a mistake and become a devil, and that is what I am now, is what he yeah. says. So, Golly Sensei hits him with, like, an energy lasso that he uses to, his standard kind of, like, he throws him around, and then he does a sick, like, energy ball, like, Street Fighter style, just, like, energy ball attack, which is pretty rad. Yeah, it's awesome. And then Jiraiya, he, he like pulls off the necklace and he's like, don't you remember? Like the necklace, like we're BFFs, number two karate dad. And <laughs> Gali Sensei just grabs it, looks at it and says, you still have this stupid thing? And he throws it in the dirt and like grinds it into the ground with his foot. And he is about is to... stone cold. Yeah. <laughs> so he is about to, like, deliver the final blow. Sasuke just pops out with, you guessed it, a rifle. And just shoots. Just shoots him. Just shoots him a bunch of times. He shoots... He also shoots, like, a barrel and a bunch of liquid starts coming out of it. And I have been so trained by, like, TV and film that when you shoot a barrel and liquid starts coming out of it, that liquid is flammable and it's about to explode. And when that doesn't happen... I was, like, legitimately surprised. <laughs> so, what else would you keep in a barrel? Yeah, so Sasuke says something about, like, that it has to be a yokai in disguise, or, or something like that, which totally makes sense. Yeah, like, he says, are is... you really his sensei, or are you just a yokai in disguise? Yeah. Um, the Gali looks at him and says, like, oh, you came here to risk your life to save your, like, to save Jiraiya. That's a beautiful friendship. He doesn't say it in a way that makes it sound like a compliment. Or yeah. like that it's actually sweet. But like, he's not wrong. And <sighs> I think he is kind of being honest. He's like, oh, you came here. Like, you might die because I'm probably going to kill you. But that's like, you know, that was a good move. Like, Kudos, way to, I guess. Like, help your bro. Yeah. So Sasuke Henge's, we do, like, man, I'm real sorry. But like, Sasuke, those pants, like his pants decision, that whole situation is yeah it's been a few weeks since we've noticed it but i feel like i notice it even more every week yeah it's just untenable like it's so <laughs> anyways so he hanges and he attacks and so there's a dry a... is telling him not to attack by the way oh yeah that's right he's like no it's like golly sensei i don't know what jiraiya's plan is but it's not to try and fight golly sensei but Sasuke's like, well, no, I'm going to do this. So they're fighting for a minute. And it's actually a pretty rad fight. Because, like, Sasuke gets in one or two shots, and then Gali does. And then he does, uh, Sasuke does Ninpo cloning. And, <laughs> and Gali's answer to Ninpo cloning is just to kick them at the same time. It's a pretty great move. It's a great move. So then, like, both of the Sasuke's, like the Sasuke and the Sasuke clone, jump on top of the rooftop. Yeah, you know, like those sort of like Western village like overhangs on yeah. rooftops that people are always on in Westerns. Yes. And so he gets on there. They both, like he and the clone, both pull out their cocky lasers. They shoot at Gali Sensei. He deflects the lasers with his sigh. And then yep. he uses that sigh to like shoot new lasers at Sasuke and the clone. And like in every Western you've ever seen, they get shot and roll off of those things and hit the ground. Or roll yeah. off the roof and hit the ground. 
So Gali like rolls over and he like puts a boot on Sasuke's neck and he's about to kill him. And then Jiraiya finally like gets his dander up and he's about to start fighting. And then Sasuke says, Jiraiya, don't do it. Which I don't, like, what are you telling him to not do, my man? Like, not save you? Not, like, what? <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. Uh, yeah, so uh, we get another flashback, and we do find oh, well, out. So, yeah, we get the flashback because as they're about to fight, and I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, As no, they're no. about to fight, before we go into the flashback, Gali is like, okay, now it's finally time. Like, he clenches his fist and... All of a sudden, now he's got the crazy Wolverine claws. Right. Which, like, of course. Right. Yeah. Obviously. But I mean, we, it is revealed. I mean, we literally see the dude in his full, like, cyber outfit with Wolverine claws in the opening of the show. Like, that is the, the shot that they choose to, like, show who this dude is, like, during the theme song. So uh, at no point in the episode is this a surprise if you were paying attention. Yeah, so so now, of course, though, it is revealed to Jiraiya, who freaks out. And then there is, this is, like, a super quick moment, but it was amazing. I think I know what you're going to say in a while. Yeah, golly, like, he takes a step back, and he, like, pops the claws. And, like, Jiraiya's standing there, and Gali's standing there. And Sasuke goes to stand up, and before he even manages to stand up, Gali just, like, sidekicks him, and he goes flying, and then he immediately returns to his stance. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's like, ju- oh, we forgot that, like, it's like the continuity guy came through. It's like, oh, we, we need to shoot this differently because Sasuke is actually still in the scene. We haven't shot him leaving yet. And they're like, oh, uh, just kick him. It's fine. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be a dramatic moment, but it is absolutely the high point of physical comedy for this episode. So then the fight is just, the fight is on, and they just start, like, running, slow-mo running towards each other, and then they, like, jump kick, and that's the episode, guys. Yeah, the freeze frame on the double jump kick, which is a great freeze frame, by the way. It's a good, it's a good moment, but yeah, oh my gosh, guys, you're killing me. Uh, so I loved this episode. Yeah, this episode was freaking great. I super uh, duper want to know what is going on. Also, this episode does a lot towards, um, like, I, I've been having trouble figuring out who my favorite of the Kaka Rangers is. And I think Jiraiya might have just taken the lead again. Yeah, like, man. With this, this episode. This episode is doing a lot for me. The other thing I super dug about this episode, and we, we don't get it a ton, a ton, but... Like we saw with Jin, uh, Demon Fist, back in Die Ranger, when it's just a dude versus a dude and there's no, like, giant rubber suit involved, the fight sequences get, like, way, way cooler. Another thing that was really great about this episode is, as much as I do love, like, all the awesome costumes and everything like that, and that those dudes in the costumes are pretty fantastic at moving around in them... You know, like, you're just necessarily hindered by wearing, like, 50 pounds of foam rubber. And so, that Gali Sensei isn't wearing any of that stuff, and it's just straight fight scenes between him and Jiraiya. Like, they're really, really cool fight scenes. They're really, they're a lot more reminiscent of the ones that we got between, like, like Jin and Ryu back in Die Ranger. Yeah, yeah. And, like, you know that these two dudes have, like, practiced like, together a lot. Like, a whole, whole bunch, because it's his dad. So yeah, yeah the fight scenes in this I was so were... happy when I looked that up and found that out. Because yeah, so... like it, the the way it, the guy seemed is like, oh, I wonder if this is someone who, you know, like was he one of the villains in Bioman or something like an old yeah. version? Because sometimes they'll have people come back, and so I looked it up because I didn't want to miss it. And mm-hmm. so seeing that it was actually his dad was very exciting. Yeah, There's no, another structural pretty... thing that I really liked in this episode that we touched on a little, which is, like, the way they did the flashback of the dad's death. So, like, the first time you just come across him and, like, he's just gotten attacked and he dies. Then the second time you see, like, oh, he'd gotten attacked by the claws and we know it was a yokai. Right. the third and final time, like, right at the end, not only do we see the claws, but there's a brief second, actually, of Gali Sensei. Yeah. Like, you know, and you see his face and he's wearing, like, the tiger cyberpunk armor. And so, like, the way that sort of, like, is spread out throughout the episode as Jiraiya is slowly realizing it. Yeah, it's... Um, it was just really... It's just a good episode of television, guys. Yeah, it's really, really solid. So, 
I think that's pretty much it for us, man. Because again, no dead monster, so no yeah, creature Nui's royale. Yeah, still alive. Gali's still alive. So I guess that is just going to do it for another episode of A View to a Cockeranger. Uh, before we finish up here, I'd like to remind you all, you can email the show at supersentaibrothers at gmail.com. You want to get any updates on future episodes or check out the things that we're talking about on Twitter, we are at supersentaibros. If you like the show, please remember that shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Uh, if you rate and review and subscribe on iTunes, that is going to help us get more featured and it helps more people find the show. Uh, Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. To listen to any of the other great Retrograde Orbit Radio shows, you can find them all at retrogradeorbitradio.com. Once again, we're the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week for the greatest show on Earth. Kaku!